Two quick things I want to throw on your radar. Uh, the first is that we are beginning a brand new series of messages all about love and sex and dating and marriage and engagement, all these things. It kicks off on February 12th, Super Bowl Sunday, and it's called I Think I Love You. Uh, so we're totally positive about that, but we got questions. And uh, with appreciation to the Partridge family, these weeks I think will be really helpful for you navigating these things. And uh, if you know someone who is, maybe you're a parent, this would be an amazing time to have discussions with your student throughout the, the journey. So February 12th, that begins. And then uh, secondly, we're going to be doing throughout the course of 2023, a series of pop-up worship nights, beginning in Polson, ending in Kalispell. And we're going to a bunch of these different cities. Uh, so if you're at church online and you'd love to join us, make, maybe make plans to join us in one of these cities. Or if you know someone who is in the Teton County or in Whitefish or Portland or Bozeman, any of these locations, we'd love to have you for these nights nights of prayer, worship, uh, getting into God's Word. They're going to be special. We're just so excited about all these different nights and being there in each city. Uh, my wife and I just excited to see what God's going to do with these pop-up Fresh Life worship nights. It's going to be awesome. Midweek, all of these are Wednesdays on the list. Um, but, but like I said, week four, you in five years, we're asking the questions, who, what, when, where, why of life change so that we get to 2028 and we don't have regret. We don't have heartache. I'm here each week to fight for future you. I don't mind if present you is annoyed by me. I don't mind if present you hates my mustache. It's not your decision, all right? Future you. I am a fan and a friend to future you so that by 2028, you're not looking back going like, I wish I had grown. I wish I had changed. And we've been answering these questions. What are we after we started with? And that is growth. That we, uh, that we become great in God's eyes and in our own eyes as we move forward. And we answered the question, why is it so hard to do that? Because we've resolved before. And the answer is inertia. Objects at rest tend to stay at rest. But the good news is objects in motion stay in motion. Uh, and then we last week answered the question, uh, how is this going to happen? And the answer was little by little. It's not big things. It's teeny tiny things that are repeated consistently that lead to what we're after. And this week, we're going to face up to the question of when. When is any of this possibly going to happen? And I want to give to you this weekend a message that I'm calling the art of crafting a masterpiece day. The art, I'm going to teach you, the art of crafting a masterpiece peace day. If you have a copy of the scriptures, Genesis chapter 1, I want to read to you just a few verses to help you how God sees a day. The art of crafting a masterpiece day. It says, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Do you catch that? The evening and the morning was what he called the first day. You see, God's ways are not our ways. And if we want to live out a series strung together of masterpiece days, and i got to give credit where credit is due. That language of a masterpiece day, one after the other, 
It comes from uh, Coach John Wooden. ESPN did a, did a little thing, and they, they decided to, to name the greatest coach of all time. And you would think Vince Lombardi uh, from the Green Bay Packers would have won. He actually was number two. The best coach of any sport of all time, according to ESPN, is John Wooden. And John Wooden, he had these rules. He had this, this creed he used to tell all his players uh, there at the, the Bruin Nation. And what, what he would say to them is, he said, make every day a masterpiece day. And tomorrow, all you have to do is do it again. So the goal is craft today. And I love that language because all we have is today. We're not promised tomorrow. I know this, this whole thing is like, well, 2028, y'all, you could be dead by then. <laughs> it's like, and that's true for me, too. Jesus said, all we have is, is today. So, of course, we're, we're, we're building in that language of, you know, of God wills, right? If, if we're still alive, if Christ hasn't returned, right? But because the argument of that, like the person who's doing nothing, what if Jesus comes back? I always say, what if he doesn't? <laughs> like, you want to be busy until he returns. And so I want to have this plan and, and, and make one masterpiece day after another. But it, it starts with, I believe, how we see things. And God doesn't see a day the same way you and I do. He sees it as an evening followed by a morning. That's different. Why? Because we think about a new day beginning when the sun rises and we wake up, right? We stand there with our cup of coffee, and it's like, oh, I love new beginnings, right? A brand new day is in front of me. But we're confused because Technically, on paper, the day began at midnight. So when we're having that cup of coffee, watching the sunrise, greeting the new day that's just begun, right? we're already kind of living in some of the day ever since midnight. But if we want to look at things the way God looks at it, we have to actually go even further back than midnight to what? To the sun going down. Because evening and morning, that was what called, God called the day, a night followed by daytime. And for, for this reason of how God set things up in the book of Genesis chapter 1 and how he spoke about it, which language matters, right? God said, let there be light, and there was. So friends, you and I have power in our tongues. We have the power to create life, and we have the power to create death. You can describe your apartment as small. You can describe your car as crappy. You can describe your boss as a jerk and your job as dead end, and that is what you will see. Or you can choose to begin to speak life. It may not be a Maserati, but I'm thankful I got a car. It might not be the best job in the world, but thank you, Jesus, that I got a job. Hey, I, I may not be living in the penthouse at, at Caesars, but I'm grateful to have a place to lay my head down. If you choose to speak life, you'll start to see life. God said, let there be light, and there was light, and he made you in his image. So you can choose to change the way you talk, and it will change what you see as well. So if we're going to see things like God sees, we have to see the, the new day beginning, not as the sun rises, but as the sun sets. It's a different way of thinking about it, but there's power in it. Let me show it to you. Visually, if we were to look at the 24 hours of the day as 24 different lines, three, Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. There's a whole day. And every new day, we are given 24 hours to spend. But we're saying that in God's sight, the 24 hours uh, as, the, as the clock is, so to speak, ticking, doesn't start at sunrise, it starts at sundown, which if you aggregate all of our locations and the time of sunset, 
it roughly is 5.30 p.m., okay? And thank God it's moving in the right direction. We get a little more daylight every single day. And then if we play that out, we have our 24 hours from sunset to sunset. We're back at this line at 5.30 again. Okay, so there's our 24 hours. And it's different if you look at it this way, and here's why. Most of us, we leave for work right around here, which is our 8 a.m. mark. So we're halfway in between 8 and 9, and, and you know, we're, we're driving or we're, we're sort of gearing up, hopefully taking a shower and getting, getting ready for that new day, right? So, so, so really from 8 till 5.30, uh, we're, we're in that zone of work or we're in that zone of going to school. Really what I'm trying to get you to see is this is the most crowded sector. And the problem is, and the reason why you have found it so difficult to change, is you probably were pushing a lot of your hopes to change into this window. That's when we're hoping to grow. That's because we see that. We wake up with our coffee. It's like, OK, another day. OK, got it, got it. Like, well, hope, hopefully it works this time. And so we push our you know, goal to learn a new language or to get in shape or any of those other things growing in our relationship with God into what is already a tornado of fury and chaos and kids here. And right, look, this is your only shot to get to the post office. This is your only shot to get to the florist. This is your only shot to get to the UPS store. And that's when you got to call the bank. Everything, that, that's it, when so much is going on. So in your mind, you cannot look at this as being the time to change. You have to back that thing up, right? And if we look at the day starting here, we begin a brand new day at sunset, and we start with rest. It's not going to bed weary at the end of another full day. It's starting a brand new day as that sun goes down. And so here's what's cool about this. You have 14.5 hours between 5.30 p.m. and 8 a.m. It's a much bigger stretch of time than this 9.5 hours that you have over here, which is already crazy. And of course, I'm not advocating don't be a good student, and I'm not advocating don't be good when you go to work. But what I'm saying is if you use this right, you will actually be far better for what you have to do when you get to this block. Okay, so we're choosing to look at this block as the most important time. So for the rest of the talk, I really want to focus here. And I've preached before, work hard, I've preached before. Be a good boss, be a good leader, be a good employee, be a good student, and we'll do it again. I want to talk to you about how to, with this block right here, from 5.30 p.m. until 8 a.m., use that time well to create a masterpiece day, one after the other. And it's a two-point sermon. going to be the easiest note-taking you've ever done in your entire life. Here's my whole sermon. Ready? You got to first get sleep, and you got a second, go deep. So let's start at the beginning. We need to get sleep. All right? We need to get rest. You cannot, it's a physical impossibility, be at your best to show up here or to show up here if you're not resting well. So as the sun's going down, we're going to begin to think about the rest that we need. The Bible says that God gives his beloved sleep. Sleep, if you could think about it, is a gift. And since God set the whole thing up with evening first and then day, he knew that the rest was needed for all that would follow. It's interesting to me that Adam was created, mankind was, was made on day six. And you know what came immediately on the heels of day six? As soon as sunset on day six, and man's like, amazing, full day. Let's go name some animals. God's like, hey, not so fast. First, you're going to bed. His first activity was going to bed. All right, go to bed. Oh, I just got here, right? I want to see some stuff. Go to sleep. Lights out. 
Adam goes to sleep. He wakes up. All right, day seven. Now let's get some work. God's like, not so fast. It's a day of rest. It's a Sabbath day. His first day reporting for duty, his job was to rest. He goes, I want to do stuff. God said, no, 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 you're going to rest. He said, I'm not tired. I didn't do anything. He goes, no, but I did. And so you're going to rest in what I did. It set the pace for how God wants us to see our lives. He wants us to look at our life of faith as resting in the finished work that Jesus has done. The gospel never says do. It says it is finished. The gospel says done. We rest in what he did. So the day begins with the sun going down. And now the new day is going to start with me being able to take comfort in food and to take rest preparing for what's to come. It's a beautiful paradigm shifting thought. And on a real just practical level, sleep really, as it has been said, is a superpower. All that happens while we're sleeping and how much suffers when our sleep does. In fact, uh, Sarah Rednick, medic, in the book Take a Nap, Change Your Life, what a great title, said, and I quote, studies have conclusively linked sleeplessness to irritability, anger, depression, and mental exhaustion. Things begin to spiral in your life. You don't eat well. You're not in a good mood. You don't have as much energy. You get sick more often. A study uh, divided two people into two different groups, and one group slept less than seven hours per night, and the other group slept more than seven hours per night. And then they were both exposed to the common cold, to the rhinovirus, and makes you turn into a rhinoceros. No, I'm kidding. Um, it's like the rhinovirus. What in the world? Sounds so much worse than it is. Uh, and, uh, and so they get exposed to the cold, and they found that you were three times more likely to actually come down to what you, this, both groups were exposed to if you slept less than seven hours per night. Because they say, on average, the average human being needs about eight hours of sleep a night. So that's the first thing we're going to ask ourselves. In this 14 and a half, how can I give myself eight hours. And if you say, not me, like, I, I, I can thrive on four, I can do well, they actually have, have shown that less than 2% of the human population can thrive at peak performance on sub-seven. So the, the vast majority of us do need eight hours. Here's a little hack I found. If you need eight hours, you need to be in bed for nine. Because that other hour, it really does take some time. So if we do the mental math, I need to be up at 6, so I need to be in bed by 10. Actually, you should be in bed by 9 to actually fall asleep, because you'll, you'll always get a little bit less than you're actually there in bed. They took um, a study as well of, of, uh, of high-performance athletes, musicians, people who, who, who thrive in life, and they actually studied their sleep patterns. And they found, on average, it's 8 hours and 36 minutes for someone like a LeBron James. That's where they're actually shooting for. And so it would be like nine and a half hours you're actually trying to plan in bed to be there. But all of this is laughable, because there are very few of us who are getting nine, less than that are getting eight, eight, three, six. And I know this, and I actually know there's a reason why. And there's a name of, of, of the reason why. Here, here's a photo of him. It's uh, Thomas Edison. This is the reason that you and I don't sleep well. This mad scientist. Uh, I could have chosen an older, kinder, gentler version of him. I didn't want to. I wanted him evil, <laughs> maniacal, and out to ruin your life. Why? Because after 9,999 failed experiments to create the incandescent filament light bulb, he succeeded on that 10,000th try, and there was light, artificial light. 
we no longer needed to rely on the light that God caused in the book of Genesis to raise in the sky. And God was no longer in charge of us going to sleep. Because where it used to be, sun went down, we sort of went to bed. And did you know that on December 31st, 1879, the day that this light bulb changed, that human rest has never been the same. Before that moment, on average, human beings got 10 hours of sleep per night. Because what the heck else were you going to (laughs) do? There are only so many candles in the world. And with lamp light, lantern light, you just started getting drowsy. Less light was coming into your eyes. Your body signals to start creating melatonin. You start to feel sleepy. You maybe read a little bit of a book. And then you get drowsy. You nod off. And you're going to sleep for 10 hours. And then the alarm clock goes ahead and shows up by way of a rooster, by way of a bladder, by way of sunlight coming in through the windows. And we're up and at them 10 hours. But did you know that the average American today on a weekday gets six hours and 50 one minutes of sleep per night. And that is a big downgrade. And it's even worse. I mean, I'm just talking about Thomas Edison, but we could be talking about Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. We could be talking about all the ways that now screens and movies just play a pattern in us not getting the sleep that we need. I was talking to someone. I said, uh, I said uh, how's, how's it going? I was terrible. I'm suffering from anxiety and depression, but it's just the worst at night. Bad dreams. It's horrible. I said, well, well walk me through. Like, what did you do last night before you went to bed? He's like, ah, I was watching a couple episodes of a show. What, what, what was it? The Walking Dead. I was like, oh, yeah, well, I can't imagine why you wouldn't peacefully go to, to bed uh, after watching zombies gnaw on someone's cheek tissue. You know what I mean? It's like, unbelievable. Like you're, you're putting these images in. It's, it's very different than, than what we would want to go into the tranquility. And, and so we have to think through these things. If I want to be at my best here to do all that God's called me to do, to be at my best for my family, I need to prioritize rest. I need to prioritize going to sleep. Uh, in the Wall Street Journal, I came across an article uh, by a man named Tom Rath, and he uh, was pointing to a study that was done on the impairment that comes into your body if you dial down the amount of sleep you're supposed to get, four hours. So let's say your six hours and 51 minutes goes down to two hours and 51 minutes or, or any of these things. He says it has almost the exact same effect on the human body as drinking an entire six-pack, which is crazy. Think about it. If you were getting on an airplane, and just before they shut that, the, the door to the cabin, you saw that pilot chugging his sixth beer. He's like, all right, we're going to Detroit today, baby. Right? You're like, get me off this plane. Or if just before the anesthesia was put on you, you're like, count back from 10, and you saw that guy in the corner with his sixth course light, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you're not operating on me that impaired like that. But, but when we show up at work, when we show up at school in our families, we're, we're impaired. We're not giving them our, our best version of ourselves when we're not taking this gift God gave us of rest, taking rest and sleep, doing what we can do. Uh, if you're not sleeping well and you're suffering from irritability and anger, depression, mental exhaustion, all these other things, but you're praying for it, God, give me peace, right? Say, like, come pray for me. I'm not going to pray for you. God will never do for you what you can do for you, right? So we need to do everything we can do and then believe God for the miraculous, to, to believe God for the impossible. So we want to get sleep. And then secondly, we want to go deep, to go deep into 
this life of faith, to go deep into what God's called us to and to not stay in the shallows, to not stay in the shallows. And this language, I, I, I first read about it in a book by Cal Newport called Deep Work. And he's an he's a incredibly smart thinker from Georgetown University and has just done work on, on what our attention spans are doing due to social media and our phones and the constant app switching, how we go from thing to thing to thing, and you work on something, but then the notification comes through, and then you're on this app for a moment, and we just sort of flip back and forth, and he says that, that basically when you go from thing to thing, there's something called attention residue from the previous thing that comes with you, and you do this long enough, often enough, and you can, you can actually somewhat permanently damage your ability to focus in on what you're doing. You're not fully present and engaged in what you're doing. And the text from James comes to mind, how a a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And I think we've all felt that. Almost like we we wouldn't have had language to put on that because we sort of just think that we're really good at multitasking. But he gives his notes in the book and makes a case as to why true multitasking is impossible. And so when we try to multitask, it sort of just robs us and depletes us of the ability to be focused and to be present. And it doesn't even have to be uh, for yourself. Did you know that the study was done where even the presence of an iPhone on the table at a meal diminishes the impact and the, the joy of everyone involved, just the sight of it? Because even if they don't see you noticing it, they're noticing it, and they're knowing at any moment a notification could come through that could pull you out of it. And so there really is not just not using phones when we're sitting at tables and sitting with people, but actually getting them out of sight. Why? Because we want to go deep. We want to go deep. Here we go. Spiritually, physically, socially, and creatively. We want to go deep spiritually. We want to go deep socially or the relationships that God has for us physically in our bodies, and then creatively in whatever God has given us to do. And we want to do that right here. Okay, so once we've rested, we've woke up, and we're now stirring, what do we want to do? We want to prioritize God. Uh, Psalm 46 says that we should be still and know that he is God. Let him take us to those deep rivers of delight, of joy, of his presence, to be still and to know that he is God. We want to go deep into his word. We want to go deep into his presence with prayer. This is something that Jesus modeled for us. We're told in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. He got away from distraction. He got away from other people. Jesus was hard to find. Jesus was difficult to reach, which is difficult for us because we don't want to be out of reach. We don't want to be out of communication. But let me ask you this question. If you're never at a place where other people can't reach you, what makes you think you're ever going to be able to be reached by God? We have to remove ourselves from distractions. Jesus uh, knew that meant for him getting away physically from people. But I think in our day, it's much more imperative for us to digitally get out of the reach of other people. Uh, one simple thing that's become a practice for me is to regularly take a walk or get alone where I don't have my phone. And that free, if there, yes, I twitch for the first few minutes. <laughs> but then there's just this freedom of no one can reach me right now. And now I can really focus on God. The iPhone effect is diminished because it's not sitting there where he's like looking at me, looking at it. 
and I can actually just spend that time with him. So I want to go deep. We want to go deep in our relationships with God, like Jesus getting away from the distractions, getting away from the craziness, and spending that time deep in his presence. We also want to go deep uh, relationally or socially. Uh, so I, I love that not for nothing, the 5.30 p.m. beginning of the new day also happens to be right around when I get hungry for dinner. A lot of us are thinking about that meal. So what a wonderful thought to anchor that beginning of a brand new day than sitting at the table with your spouse, sitting at the table with your family. That time, hopefully, of just talking about the day that's in front of you, the day that's behind you. If you think about that as a brand new day, hey, this day is starting with dinner. We're starting here at the table. And just knowing the cascading effects of that one keystone habit of having that meal, of having that moment, and what can come from going deep in your relationships. You know, if it's, if it's doing a puzzle or playing Scrabble or something like that, it's just amazing. There's so many different ways where you can begin to talk and laugh and, and build those relationships going deep into what God has in the other people in your life as well. We want to go deep relationally. We also want to go deep when it comes to the, the, the physical bodies that God gave us and our stewardship of them. They have found that when you work up and get your heart rate up, and it doesn't have to be a lot. I mean, look into zone two training. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing what can happen even just get going a little bit and what can happen in your uh, well-being of your emotions when you're exercising. I just have a, a big passion for this because I think a lot of the things that God wants to give to us that we ourselves would be praying and asking for right, are within our reach. And it's as simple as, as getting your heart rate up a little bit and sweating some. And so what, what does it mean to go deep physically? Uh, well, I'm talking about working out. And I'm talking about doing anything for you that's good for you and how that will change how you face the rest of your day. One study found that working, one little 30 or 40-minute exercise session mimics the effect of taking Prozac and Ritalin. How crazy is that? Prozac for your mood, Ritalin for your focus, that after working out, you're in a better mood, and you're more easily able to focus on what's in front of you. And they, they say that the effects last for about 12 hours. So that's at least a case made for working out closer to here than to here. Because if you work out at the end of the day, yes, those effects are going to be there, and there's probably some good that's going to come from it. But if you do it somewhere in this window here, you're going to feel that, ride that wave of well-being and productivity as well as mood boosting. And these are the things God built into how he made us when he made us fearfully and wonderfully. Uh, I also would have to say this. My whole life, I've always been a morning spend time with Jesus guy. Like I really do, like David said, early I seek you, Jesus early on the mountain. Uh, but I also have lately been experimenting with, with a psalm or with something from Scripture as the last thing I do before I go to sleep. Uh, last night I fell asleep, I dozed off reciting a memory verse that I've, I've been working on trying to, get to me commit to memory. I don't think I got to the end of it before I fell asleep, but, but just that setting the pace for those dreams and those, those songs in the night, so to speak, that Job says that God is willing to give to us. So we're going deep in our exercise, we're going deep in our relationship with God, going deep in our relationship with others, and then the creative, uh, the creative enterprises that God has for us. Whatever it is, you know, as we lay out this you in five years, like, I would really love to, okay, fill in the blank here. If it's, if it's get a degree or uh, start this Etsy side hustle or whatever it is over here, there's, th this is the space for those new things not so much over here where there's already, because people are always asking me, like, how do you do these things? And for me, it's that prime time after I've 
got up out of bed, spent some time with Jesus, done something for my body. Now I am like firing all, on all cylinders. And on my best days, I don't pour that straight into social media. I don't pour that straight into that day's worth of emails that I've already accumulated that I got to go to next. This is that prime time where I can strike while the iron's hot and get so much done in a 90-minute period, get so much done at times in a 30-minute period. And one of the things I like to do is to set a timer and to think of it as this chunk. All right, I got 30 minutes, and I'm setting a timer. And I was telling Clover this the other day because she was trying to get a paper written. I said, I will set this timer, and if I have to pee, it's like, yep, sorry. Should have thought of that before the timer began. It's like I am this mean drill sergeant during that period because we're going to focus here, and we're going to get something that we need to get to done. I thought I would show you in case it helps anybody because when I was writing my last book, it was so daunting, and I was you know, maybe 10 days into writing it, and I realized I needed a plan. And so what I did was I created this little calendar on a dry erase board, and every single day, uh, one through six, was a day where I was going to write 1,000 words, which none of those days did I finish 1,000 words and feel like, yay, a book's here. Right? It's like, what's that? Because it's going to be so thick when it's all done. But if I can do that every single day and not miss a single day except for the sevens, which is Saturday, and that day of rest, I will write every single day, one through six. And this is all, you know, five in the morning or seven in the morning. It's before my day job begins, which I, I have a day job, and it's not writing books. And so that's going to be in that morning period of time. After I've rested, spent time with Jesus, now I'm going to focus in and hammer down, and I will only circle the number if I finish that thousand words. And then I added a challenge to it, and the X represents cardio, one half, and the other half something for my core or weights. And then uh, on the sevens, every time I had my phone off 100% of Saturday, I circled the red. So pray for me. Uh, I have an F on that, but at least three of, three of the seven, I, I got that done. And I ended up finishing early because on days one, two, three, and four on the last week, I ended up writing two and three and 5,000 words in one day. This is just what can happen a little bit at a time when you're moving towards God, what God wants for you. I just came to encourage you. If you begin to put some of these things into practice, it can add up over time. So we want to go deep. We want to get sleep. Uh, I also want to encourage you to take notes and to track your progress. There is incredible power in keeping a journal, incredible power in a diary. They say the simple act of having to write down the food you eat will automatically uh, cause you to make healthier choices because you, at the end of the day, maybe, or as you're doing it, write down what you ate. Three Big Macs, right? No one wants to write that down. And so the discipline of writing down and keeping a diary of your food is going to be good. And I want to encourage you to keep a record of what you're doing. Why? You are living history. You are living history. You are a blood-bought son or daughter of the King of Kings. You are living history. So where's the log? Where's the record of it going to be? Just think of the lost record. Well, my Facebook's my, my history. Ah, you don't want that. Right? No, you, you, you want a record. You want a log. You want a diary. And, and the, the act of whether you're beginning or ending a day by taking note of some of those things, just practically speaking, 100 years from now, will give the future generation something to look back on. My daughter, uh, Olivia, gave me for Christmas uh, a book written by Winston Churchill's daughter. And she thought it was cool that Mary Churchill was 17 when World War II started. And she's 17, and so she bought this for me. So I've been reading it, and it's been amazing. I, I, I brought a, a cool excerpt. You know, when the Spitfire planes were being built during the Battle of Britain and bombs were dropping on London every single day, she's 17 years old. 
And she writes in her journal on Sunday, the 15th of September, 1940. Today is my 18th birthday. It's the climax of the Battle of Britain. Nana and I walked to Holy Communion. I, I prayed especially for courage and endurance. I feel I shall need both. Mummy and Papa gave me checks for 10 pounds. What a lovely present. Sarah came down bringing with her a lovely leather writing portfolio and chocolates and silk stockings. How sweet everyone is in these terrible times to remember me turning 18. I do appreciate it terribly. Mummy ordered a lovely cake for me. And just the, the reality that we can write, read this now because she wrote it down. I also spent some time this week uh, reading the, the journal entries and diary entries of the famed evangelist from England, George Whitfield, who traveled and preached. Uh, he gave a 1,000 sermons a year for 30 years. He traveled back and forth from England to America, seven different trips, and he would, on horseback, thousands of miles, travel to preach the gospel and see the lost saved. On Wednesday, July 11th, 1739, preached at 11 in the morning to a larger audience than last night, then hastened to Bristol. I had to look it up. It's 12.5 miles by horse and preached in the evening to a large congregation. It rained much during the sermon, but blessed be God, everyone's hearts are so influenced by the gospel, they cared little whether it rained or shined. After this, my brother Wesley, which he's talking about John Wesley, and I went to this meeting and did such and such. It's just amazing to, to, for, to, to, to see and to hear the record of what God do, was doing with him. Let me encourage you. Let me challenge you. Make some part of this day the exercise of going deep into journaling what God's teaching you and what God's doing through you, even just simply so that your great-great-grandchildren can look back and be encouraged in their faith over what you did, and you'll be able to read it as well. Now, to end where we began, we started by talking about Coach John Wooden. Uh, won 88 consecutive games. That was his record. 88 wins in a row. Won 10 NCAA championships at UCLA. And that's how you get to be called the greatest coach of all time. But I think it's interesting to note that he didn't win his first championship until he was 54 years old. And by that point, he had been a coach for nearly 30 years. You see, he started as a high school basketball coach. And for 11 years, he coached a high school team, and no one ever heard of him. And then after that, he went to the Navy and fought in World War II and came back and did an additional 17 years as a college basketball coach without winning a single championship. Two of those years was at Indiana State. And then he got the job that he's famous for at UCLA. But for 15 years, they didn't win. Then in 1964, at the age of 54, it all really began. And this back-to-back -back wins, 88 consecutive, everyone's talking about him, super famous. He's an overnight success after 30 years of grinding, after 30 years of, of obscurity, after 30 years developing the famous creed that he was known for to his boys, be quick, but don't hurry. Be quick. I love that. Fast on your feet, but don't hurry. Mistakes are made when you rush and all of these things, and he's gone down in history books, not because of what he did at 54 moving forward, all the wins. I'm telling you, it was this right here. 
And if we will one day at a time create masterpiece days and do the little things well, I am telling you something, we will be so grateful for what God unleashes through our lives as a result. What I, what I really am trying to get you to see is that it is really hard, not impossible, but really hard to have a bad day that starts and ends well. So if we'll begin to do this with our days, I believe that God will take care of the results. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you for how you created the world and how we can learn much from it. It's a gift to have light bulbs. It's a gift to have phones. It's a gift to have Google Maps and not be trying to figure out around. But God, also, we need to learn how to have these tools, but not let them have us. Because it really is easy to gain the whole world, but lose our soul. And we don't want to lose our souls. We want to go deep. We want to get sleep. And we want to one day at a time do what Jesus did. Spend time with the Father and then be fully present with whatever was in front of him. So I pray that over your people today. And if as we're praying, if, if you would say, Levi, this message was for me. I needed to hear this. There's some application I need to make them out of. Could I just ask that you'd raise a hand up? God, I pray you'd bless these for their honesty. Those in the chat, online, in the podcast, every location. Thank you for the humility of saying, I needed this. I needed God's voice speaking to me. It could be something so simple, just beginning to write stuff down. Or just the reality that, hey, through sleep and through exercise, I can feel better, be in a better mood. Prioritizing dinner times, less distraction. I don't need that phone in my hand 24-7. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you give us peace. You're the prince of peace. Help us to be better at being still. Help us to be better at being bored. One breath in, one breath out. Thank you, Jesus. You can put your hands down. I want to now give an invitation to anybody who today would say, hey, I need to give my life to Jesus. The gospel is this open door where we open our hearts up and Jesus comes in. The Bible says that God loved the world so much he gave his son Jesus that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We sort of think salvation is I got to do more good things than bad things, but that's, that, there's no good news in that. For all of us have sinned, and even one sin is enough to make us dead on the inside to God, separated from him. The wages of sin is death, and that's why Jesus died on the cross. It was necessary. Our sins were so bad, Jesus had to die. There was no other way. But we are so loved that he was glad to die. And if you're here and you've been trusting in religion or you've been trusting in whatever to fill that hole inside your heart to make you right with God, that striving can cease today. If you would trust Jesus, look unto him and be saved. You're like, Levi, what, is that? what does that even mean? It means you choose to believe in your heart. And then you choose to confess with your lips the only name that can, that can save a person, the name of Jesus, his death, his resurrection. And when you do that, he comes to live inside of you. I don't understand it, but I've experienced it. And it could happen to you today. And I believe for many of you, this is the reason God drew you into this moment. At our locations, so sitting on the internet, it's not a mistake and neither are you. You are loved by God. He knows every sin you've ever committed. 
when he sees that it was satisfied, the debt for those sins was satisfied on the cross. And his spirit is urging you to come to him, to, to give your heart to him. For him to be able to make you a son or daughter of heaven. To give you peace and hope. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you are ready to trust Jesus for salvation, pray this prayer with me. Church family, say it with us. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I can't fix myself. I can't make myself whole. But I believe you can. Thank you for sending Jesus. For his death, for his resurrection, I turn to you. Thank you for new life. I give you mine. In Jesus' name.